Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, uh, which is the third book, uh, sorry, second book. I'm not off to a great start. <laughs> second book in the New Testament, Matthew, then Mark. Um, and a, we're in a series together that we're called, uh, calling Milk and Honey. And we're talking about the substance and the sweetness of the story of the Bible. And what our goal has been throughout this series to sort of give us the common theme. What's the Bible all about? Um, because like we've been saying, the Bible is made up of 66 books. Um, it's over, it's it's. 66 books, so it's more like a library than a single book. Um, It's written by over 40 authors, written on three different continents, spanning hundreds of years from its first book to its last. And so there's a lot going on. And so what's the story? Is it one is it one story? What's happening? It's sort of the, how we've boiled it down to summarize the story of the Bible, that it's about God and his create, uh, excuse me, yeah, creation and commission. And then about us, our rebellion, and then God's plan for redemption, and the new creation and commissioned again. This is sort of the theme that we've been following through the Bible. And we finally made it to the New Testament. Yeehaw! New Testament. All right. Now, this is where Jesus shows up to fulfill God's plans. And he's going to do what humanity has failed to do. The story begins with Adam and Eve in the garden, Genesis chapter 1. And they failed to fulfill God's commission and to trust and obey God. And the Bible tells us that because of one man's sin, one man's disobedience, all become sinners. All of us as descendants of Adam become, are born as sinners because we're all his descendants. Then from there, the story sort of uh, uh, broadens or sort of, uh, I guess the opposite, it it zooms in and then it broadens from uh, a character named Abraham to his descendants as the children or the, the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel failed to carry out God's plans. The nation was to be a kingdom of priests. That's what God says as he instructs uh, as they leave Egypt and as they're camped out at Mount Sinai. God speaks uh, to Moses, uh, to the people, and he says, you're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to rule with God's justice. You're going to represent God's heart, and you're going to reach the whole world. This was God's plan. But because they were influenced by the world around them, because they didn't trust God, the nation was ultimately destroyed. But all of it was moving us closer to God's original plan for redemption. In Genesis chapter 3, God predicted a serpent crusher. And in Genesis chapter 12, God predicted a blessing that he would bless all nations. And so all of us, all of it is moving towards God's original plan and predictions. And God doesn't break any of his promises. He fulfills them all entirely with Jesus. And he brings about his plans completely. Jesus brings out the plans of God, and this is what we're going to talk about tonight, through fulfilling, through proclaiming, and through calling. Jesus brings out the plans of God through fulfilling, through proclaiming, and calling. He's fulfilling the original plans. He's proclaiming the good news of God, and he's calling all people to participate. All right, that's sort of the outline for tonight, and I've titled this message, The Good News of God. The Good News of God. Now, 
In a quick summary um, of last week, remember we talked about the kingdom of Israel, how it was divided into two parts, the southern tribe of Judah and its kings and that kingdom that was ultimately destroyed and led into captivity by Babylon. And then the northern tribes of Israel, that was the northern kingdom that was uh, uh, destroyed and led into captivity by Assyria. And then from there, the, the nation of Israel, as it was known, as a autonomous kingdom that, could, that had a king that could make their decisions, make their decrees, ceases to exist. From that point on, they are able to occupy the land, but they're unable to, be, uh, to sort of reign politically themselves. First, they're occupied by the uh, uh, Persians, and then by the Greeks, and then ultimately by the Romans. This is important because this is the scene that's sort of happening when we meet Jesus, right? The Rome is in charge. Israel has the freedom to worship, they they have the freedom to live, they have the freedom to do their things, but they're occupied um, by Roman soldiers and by Roman government. Are you with me? Is this making sense? And this is sort of like boiling a little bit when Jesus arrives on the scene. The, the, the Jews are unhappy with this occupation. They're becoming increasingly more uh, rebellious. They're unhappy with uh, the Roman leadership. And so this is sort of the, the friction and the tension that's happening when Jesus shows up. And we'll talk about that more as we go. Tonight, we just want to meet Jesus, all right? We're just going to follow that same storyline. All right, Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 1. And then I'm going to jump to verse 9 after verse 1, but it says this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. All right, it's a strong opening. Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, from there, uh, Jesus uh, gives us some more summaries. I just wanted to jump down to verse 9. It says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with who I am well pleased. At once, the spirit uh, sent him, that's an interesting word, sent him into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. After John, verse 14, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee uh, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. We're going to pause there. We're going to pick up with the story again in a few minutes, but I just want us to see uh, that part. So Jesus comes on the scene, and the first thing that we see he does, point number one, is he's fulfilling the original plans. Now, in all of the Gospels, there is a callback. The Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are the stories of Jesus. They're basically autobi- or, excuse me, biographies about the life, uh, ministry, miracles, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So it's four biographies written by different characters from different vantage points, right? So if we're sitting in this room and uh, Shane gets up and does something, we would all have a different perspective on what he does, right? I would be like, Shane, you interrupted me, right? Somebody else would be like looking at their phone and like, I missed it, what did he do, 
right? We would all have a different vantage point, and then we're like, hey, uh, would you write a summary about what Shane just did? And we'd all write down our different perspective about what he did. That's sort of, those are the four biographies of Jesus, four different vantage points. But they all begin with a callback to the beginning story, to the Genesis story, to show that Jesus is the fulfillment. Right there in, in Mark 1, it says, the beginning of the good news. Now, if you know, Genesis 1.1 begins how? It says, in the beginning, God created. And so right away, if you're a reader and you know the, the story of the Bible, you would say, okay, this is a callback. This is taking me all the way back, not just to the book before, but all the way back to the very beginning. In the beginning, God created. The beginning of the good news. Matthew's gospel begins with the phrase that says the book of genealogy or the book of the beginning. That's how Matthew's gospel starts. Luke does the same thing. And then John quotes, in the gospel of John, quotes almost exactly Genesis 1. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So all of them are designed, when we, when we meet Jesus on the, in the very opening chapters, it's designed to take us back to the beginning to show this is God's original plan. This, is, this isn't a coincidence. This isn't some random dude. This isn't some guy like just, uh, all right, now a brief uh, story about this really nice guy that lived in, in Galilee. Let's talk about him for a little while. No, no, this is designed to show us this is the plan of God from the beginning. The appearance of Jesus wasn't random. It's all God's plans coming to fruition. In fact, if you read Matthew's gospel, he points out more than 15 fulfilled prophecies about the Messiah that Jesus fulfilled. It, it, Matthew's gospel is so interesting because he'll tell a story of Jesus and then he'll sort of sidebar and he'll say he did this to fulfill the prophecy that said, and then he'll quote some Old Testament prophecy. All of which is designed to go, okay, this is God's plan. This isn't an accident. Uh, scholars say that Jesus fulfilled as many as 400 Old Testament prophecies in his birth, in his life, in his ministry, his death, and resurrection. And I want us to see it, because um, I think we've heard probably that Jesus fulfills prophecies. And if your brain is anything like mine, I sort of think of it like, Okay, here's Jesus, and we look back, and we go, like, oh, wow, how cool he fulfilled all those prophecies. Like, what an interesting, like, almost coincidence that that all happened. But what I want us to see tonight, that it's actually, it's God's plan from the beginning. The reason Jesus does all of those things, it's not just to, like, fulfill the prophecy, but it's because that was God's plan from the beginning. Are you hearing me? Like, it's almost like we can picture, like, Harry Potter style, like, oh, the prophecy is coming to plan. Wow. He's got the lightning bolt on his head. So, oh, could he be the one? But instead, God is saying, absolutely, this was my plan. He's the serpent crusher. He's the blessing to all nations. Like he is walking these things out. This was the original plan from the beginning. But Jesus fulfills as many as 400. Um, some prophecies include where he would be born, Bethlehem, where he would grow up uh, uh, in Galilee, what he would be called, a Nazarene. Um, some would talk about how he would speak and teach and parables, all of these things. Now, some of those prophecies you could control, right? 
like some of, some of the prophecies are like he would speak in a parable. And if I just like started speaking in parables all the time, you'd be like, oh, man, maybe it's the guy. Now, you wouldn't think that, but some of those prophecies you could control. But a lot of them you couldn't control, right? You can't control where you're born. You can't control where you grow up to an extent, right? Like these things just part of God's plan, Jesus um, fulfilled that. In fact, the, the probability of Jesus fulfilling just eight prophecies, um, mathematicians say that it would be 10 to the 17th power, one in 10 to the 17th power, Jesus to fulfill just eight of the Old Testament prophecies. So the number 10 with 17 zeros after it for Jesus just to fulfill eight of them. Uh, one mathematician said that the chances of that is like you filling the entire state of Texas um, two feet deep with silver dollars. Okay, imagine the state of Texas completely covered with silver dollars. And then you take one silver dollar, you draw a red X on it, you get in a helicopter, you fly over the state of Texas, and you flick that silver dollar out and somewhere into the state of Texas. And then you grab one of your friends, you blindfold them, and you say, wander the state of Texas through the two foot deep of silver dollars, and whenever you feel like it, you bend down and pick one up. The chances of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the prophecies would be like your friend bending down and picking up the silver dollar with the red X on it. Are you hearing me? Jesus fulfilled as many as some scholars say 400. Okay? So it's like, it's pretty, the chances are pretty low. Are you with me? So again, Jesus' arrival is not just fulfillment of prophecy. It was the plan of God from the very beginning. I want you to hear that. Jesus' arrival is not just him fulfilling prophecy. It was the plan of God from the very beginning. From the moment Jesus came on the scene, he begins to do the work of God. And this is seen as he's baptized by John, and then he's immediately led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And in this, in this story from Jesus being baptized to going into the, into the wilderness, he shows us that he's a better Adam and he's a better Israel. He's a better Adam by overcoming the temptation of the beast. Remember, we're, we're immediately drawn to the Genesis story. What happens in Genesis? God creates uh, the heavens and the earth. God creates a garden in Eden. God places man in the midst of the garden. God places a tree in the middle of that garden. And then he says, you have relationship with me, except don't eat of this tree. And this little guy shows up. This little talking snake, right, shows up. This little snake in the grass shows up. And he says, did God really say that you can't eat from any of the trees in the midst of the garden? And they're like, oh, I don't know. And they give in, right? They disobey God. They listen to the talking serpent. And they, they take, they give in to the temptation of the beast. And Jesus, here he is, tempted 40 days in the wilderness by Satan. And every time, you can read about it in more detail in Matthew's gospel, that, that Satan gives a temptation. Jesus responds with the word of God and doesn't give in. But he also shows us that he's a better Israel by conquering the wilderness. Israel, remember, if you go back a few weeks, we talked about this, but Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years, right? Complaining, murmuring, doing their thing. And Jesus here as a parallel for 40 days. 
And Jesus responds in Matthew's Gospels with words from Deuteronomy in the account of their failure, the Israelites' failure, in the wilderness. Okay, I'm just saying all this because I want you to see that Jesus isn't just fulfilling prophecy, right? He is carrying out the original plans of God. Are you hearing me? I'm just going to beat this point in, and then then we'll move on. I've got a few more things to say on it. You with me? His temptation and then overcoming is the beginning of him waging war against the kingdom of darkness. First, he goes 1v1 against Satan, right? 40 days in the wilderness, and he overcomes. Then from there, we're not going to read about it tonight, but if you, if you follow the story, Jesus goes against the demonic influences in the land. He begins to expel um, demonic possession. And then he's going to heal the sick. And raise the dead to even show himself over the consequences of sin. Uh, uh, An author by the name of G.K. Beale in his book, God Dwells Among Us, he says it like this. Jesus' resistance to these satanic allurements was the beginning of his defeat of the devil. This ministry of casting out demons continues this holy warfare of the true Israel, Jesus. Christ casting out uh, demons was an expression of his beginning and his decisive defeat of Satan, who had brought creation into captivity uh, through his deception of Adam and Eve. This is the significance of the parable of the binding of the strong man in Matthew chapter 12 by casting out the devil and his forces. Jesus was accomplishing the latter-day defeat of Satan that Adam should have accomplished in the first garden. Okay, so the point, the reason I'm saying all of this is because Jesus is not just fulfilling prophecy, he's carrying out the plans of God. Now from there, to sort of make it even thicker and deeper, Jesus calls 12 Jewish men to be his disciples as a picture of the 12 tribes of Israel with Jesus identified with Yahweh as the leader. Okay, so he's continuing to bring about the plans of God. And he does all of this to do what Adam nor the people of Israel could ever do. And that was rule with God's justice perfectly represent God's heart, and then reach the world with God's love and plans. I'm going to say that again because if you notice, there was some alliteration there. He rules with God's justice, he represents God's heart, and then he reaches the world with God's love and plans. That was point number one. Point two, you guys with me? Jesus shows up to proclaim, point number two, by proclaiming the good news of God. This is him fulfilling the plans of God by proclaiming the good news of God. Look at verse 14. We read it already. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And he says this, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. He's proclaiming the good news. Uh, The word good news is where we get the idea of gospel. That's that word. Whenever you hear the phrase gospel, it literally, it simply means good news. Um, and, and this is what Jesus brings, good news. And what's his message? He says, the kingdom of God has come near. Or in other words, the kingdom of God has arrived. And then he says, repent and believe. God has always had a desire to have relationship with his creation. Right? This goes all the way back to the beginning story. But sin broke that relationship. And because of it, humans have tried to replace God or try to figure out their own way to God or do things without God entirely. 
Right? We see this all the time. God wants to have relationship with us. He created us in such a way to desire relationship with him. In fact, the Bible says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of every person. That all of us have a, a, a given, an inerrant desire to, to know God, to have relationship with God. Because God wants to know us. And God wants us to know him. But humanity has a way of trying to replace God. Right? We try to fill that hole with something else. I don't need God. I'll just do my own thing. I don't need God. I'll just, I'll just have a relationship or I'll just get famous or I'll just make money and then I'll be happy and content. Or we try to figure out our own way to God. I don't, I, I don't need God to save me. I'll just be a really good person. Or we just forget about God. God doesn't even exist. Oh, no, 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 no. It's all an accident. It's all random. We just, we just live our life. We do our thing, and that's it. The message of Jesus is that God is making his kingdom available and accessible to anyone that would repent and believe. One of the things that makes Jesus' message radically different uh, than, than any other message or makes him uh, radically different than any other influential person and what makes Christianity different than any other religion is that Jesus doesn't come with good advice. Jesus doesn't come with good advice about what you should do. He doesn't come and say, if you are just nicer to each other, the kingdom of God will come. Right? He's like, all right, guys, here's the plan. Just be nice to one another for like five minutes. Can we do that? Everybody in the world agree. For five minutes, let's just be nice to each other, and then the kingdom of God's going to show up. He also doesn't come and say, if you repent, then maybe God will bless you with his presence. Jesus doesn't come with good advice about what you should do. Listen, he comes with good news about what is already done for you. He doesn't come with good advice. He comes with good news. What's that good news? The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe because it's available to anyone that would call on the name of Jesus. And Jesus will go on and live a life of proclaiming this message of good news. And listen, the message of the gospel, it is good news. It's not just good advice. right? The, the message of Jesus is not just like, hey, be a better person. The, the message of Jesus isn't just like, hey, get your stuff together and then come and hang out with me. The message of Jesus is, listen, God's kingdom is available. His love and his righteousness and his goodness and his peace is available to anyone who would just follow after me. That's the message. And the entirety of Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection, and ultimately his ascension, shows us what that good news looks like. So he proclaims the good news of God. And point number three he, he fulfills the plans of God by calling people to participate. By calling people to participate. Mark chapter 1, verse 16, it says this. It's the next section. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once... They left their nets and followed him. Now, this is an awesome passage that we could probably spend our whole night on, but I just want to draw out a couple things. 
Jesus rarely in his ministry would call people to believe in him. Now, he doesn't not say that we, in the verse before, right? He says, repent and believe the good news. In John chapter 3, when he's talking to Nicodemus, he says, for God so loved the world, he gave his own son, for whosoever believes in me should not perish. But for the most part, when Jesus would encounter people, he would call them to follow him. Because he calls people not into information, but into formation. I'm going to say that again because it's good. Jesus calls us not into information. He doesn't want you to just go like, ah, ooh, wow. He doesn't call us into information. His goal for us is not to just have light bulbs. Like, ah, I get it. He calls us into to formation where he transforms our life, where he makes us different. He calls us out of darkness and into light. He calls us out of, out of bitterness and into forgiveness, right? He calls us out of anxiety and into peace. He calls us out of despair and, and depression and into joy and satisfaction. Jesus calls us out of old things and forms us into something new. And he's inviting people to be shaped by God's ways and participate in that goal. The goal to spread God's kingdom of light, to represent God's heart, and redeem the world from the curse of sin. Jesus shows up, and he's carrying out the plans of God. What are the plans of God? Well, it's to rule with justice, and it's to represent God's heart, and it's to redeem the world. It's to do all of these things, and Jesus is, is doing that, and then he invites people, hey, come with me as we bring God's kingdom into the world. And God doesn't just call us to save us individually. He calls us into participation with him by bringing his good news to the whole world. And in this section, he calls Peter and Andrew, some of his first followers. And notice the little pattern. They're called to believe, to follow, and become. He says, repent and believe. And then he says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. This is the same invitation for us. It begins when we repent and believe. Repent means to change your mind. That's the idea of repentance. It literally means to just change your mind. To recognize that Jesus is who he says he is. Uh, repentance is first about changing your mind, not about changing your actions. First. Okay, repentance will ultimately lead to changing your actions. But repentance first begins by changing your mind. By going, do you know what? This is wrong. This path is leading me down a way I don't want to go. What I'm doing right now, how I'm behaving, it's a changing of your mind. And then the second like, sort of proposal from Jesus is believe, but then it's to follow. right? He says, hey, come follow me. I love that. I love that Jesus doesn't say, hey, guys, you're fishermen, um, and I, want, I like the little play on words here. Like, I'm going to make you fishers of men, um, but you guys, you have a long way to go. So um, I really want you to be a part of my team. Um, I'm going to come back in a year. I'm going to give you a year. You just figure it out. Stop being so rambunctious. Stop being so uh, worldly. Stop being, now the, one of the persons, uh, people he calls is, is Simon, who Jesus will change his name to Peter. And Peter is such an interesting character because he like loves God with everything he's got. He absolutely loves Jesus. But he's so like emotional and excited that he doesn't know what to do all the time. And so he does things he shouldn't do. 
And he says things he shouldn't say. And he's kind of mean sometimes. And he's like impulsive. Jesus doesn't go, hey, Peter, like I really want to use your life, but you need to deal with your anger. You need to, you need to learn how to think before you speak. Um, and then you need to be nice to the other people I'm going to invite. Um, and then you can come be a part of my team. None of that. Jesus says, believe, follow me, and I will make you. The invitation is just to come. The invitation is to follow. And to follow Jesus for us, it's really simple. It looks like being with him, being with Jesus. It looks like becoming like him because we're in his presence. And then it looks like doing what he did, right? If he had your life, what would Jesus do if he was in your shoes, living your life? How can we bring that life into our world? It's to follow. And then the third thing, it's to become, right? It's to believe, it's to follow and become. Jesus says he will make them fishers of men. The idea is that they are going to participate in what God's doing. Right now they're fishermen, but they will become something different. And Jesus invites us to believe and follow and allow him to change us. And when we follow Jesus and when we fall in love with Jesus, we will have a desire to change our actions. The gospel isn't change your actions and then be a Christian. The gospel is follow Jesus and allow him to transform you from the inside out. And if you choose, do you know, I'm going to follow Jesus. That means I'm going to be with him. What does that look like? Well, I'm going to pray. I'm going to be at church. I'm going to open up God's word. And then I'm going to become like him. When God's word speaks to me or a message speaks to me or another Christian brother or sister encourages me to do something or to stop doing something, I'm going to do that. And I'm going I'm to begin to transform. And then I'm going to look, how can I bring the life and the ministry and the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, into my life? Right? As, as I, if I make that decision, I'm going to follow Jesus. Watch how your desires begin to change too. We're not looking at it like this list of things that I can and can't do. But rather a deep desire to, I want to know God. I want to be in relationship with God. I want to do what he wants me to do. Yesterday we had uh, first priority at uh, Vero Beach High School, and uh, some of the girls here, they, they lead that. And the message that they shared yesterday was, was basically this idea. And we talked about what, what's one of the things that keeps people from wanting to be a follower of Jesus. And one of the things that was said in both lunch periods is people have a misconception about what following God looks like. They think that it's just this, okay, you can't do this anymore, and you have to do this, and it's just this list of rules and all of these things. And what we were talking about is that if we could actually show people the, the true vision of what it means to follow Jesus, the, the good life that Jesus invites us into, it's not like, oh, man, I have to go to church. It's like, I can't wait to be around other Christians. Oh, I got to read the Bible. No, what does God want to say to me today? Oh, I got to carve out time to pray. No, I got to talk to my heavenly father. There's such a different perspective that happens when we recognize, no, 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 it's not, this, it's not this thing that we have to do, but it's good news that we get to receive and be a part of. Who doesn't like good news, right? Like, who doesn't want to tell people? I can tell you, like, when, when Hannah and I, are, we had our baby a month ago, Louise, she is all time, and uh, when we found out she was pregnant, it was in, like, the beginning of January, we found out she was pregnant. We didn't tell anybody till like middle of March. Paul, when was your wedding? Yeah, so like middle of March is after Paul's wedding. 
it's like this time stamp for me. We started telling people. Uh, it was so hard to keep that news inside. Why? Because it's good news. Like, we want to talk about it. We want other people to be excited about it with us. And, and like, oh, we have to wait so long to tell people. Ah. Good news is meant to be shared, right? Like, we want, to, we want to join together. And that's the message of Jesus. He came proclaiming the good news of God. This is what God has done for us. He's redeeming, doing, he's fulfilling completely the plans of God so that we could have right relationship with him, restored access to him, and that we might find joy and peace and the life that God always intended for his humans to experience.